I hope and pray uh, you had a great Christmas. I hope it was a good time for you. Um, I know for, for me it was a tough time. It was first uh, Christmas without my dad, and uh, I got sick around Christmas weekend. Um, but we had some exciting uh, travels with the family, went to Florida, uh, got this respiratory funk. Anybody else get the respiratory funk? Amen. Yes, oh me, right? And then um, got better as the week progressed after Christmas and made it back to Florida to watch Clemson win the Gator Bowl, which was fun. And that's why I don't have a voice. And now we're back here, all right, and getting ready back in the saddle for the new year. Um, as we think about Christmas, and again, I'm just going to kind of land the plane this year and settle into the Christmas story. I want to kind of expand maybe uh, your ideas and thoughts on Christmas because I think most of us, we think about a Christmas message or a, a Christmas uh, emphasis. It's about that night in Bethlehem with Jesus, baby Jesus in a manger, Mary, Joseph, various and sundry farm animals. You know, shepherds are there, probably an angel or two. And I want you to kind of think back to the nativity a picture that you have at your house or the house that you uh, grew up in and think about those, those pictures. Um, and, and where we're going to land is after Christmas. And, and many times what happens, what we're going to read about in Matthew chapter 2, is kind of lumped in uh, with the Christmas night, but it didn't actually happen on Christmas night. It actually happened probably, more than likely, about two years after Christmas is when the Magi or the wise men show up. And so I hope this doesn't wreck your nativity scene too hard as you're thinking through uh, what that looks like. But a, a bulk of what we have from Jesus' life is Jesus after 30. In fact, by Matthew chapter 3, the next chapter that would be in Matthew, we've got a 30-year-old Jesus, okay? 30-year-old Jesus uh, taking the steps of public ministry. And so we just don't have a whole lot of Jesus' early years. And so when we get a story like this, we, we should lean in a little bit because this is a really a fitting, rare opportunity to hear something from Jesus' childhood. And again, as you think through the mental picture of the nativity, uh, you typically think about, you know, you got Mary, Joseph, you got the manger, but typically there's like three kings, right, or three wise guys, and they're usually like on their knees, and they got these, uh, some kind of, uh, you know, uh, 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 treasure chest of some sort or something in their hands that they're presenting to the king. And, and as we read this, we're going to read where this comes from. I want you to see that it actually is a little bit more vague than what we think. These men that we're going to call the magi here in the story um, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful picture of God's provision, and I want you to just take the time to, to listen with fresh ears today as we read from Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. These are the wise men. And they asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. This is a past tense uh, saying that, uh, a statement that they're making. We saw this star at some point and now we've come to find him and to worship him. Verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the, chief, the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet was, has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This was a quote from the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets. And by the way, uh, these magi, uh, and we'll talk about this in just a moment, they had access to the Old Testament scriptures, and they were you know, fascinated with the stars. They see these things, and they, they kind of like pull these uh, interests together of astronomy and of theology as, and what they see in their studies. And so they're very interested. They're, they're drawn to this. Uh, they go, and they show up at, at Herod's palace looking for this king. They wanted to come and worship him, we're told at the end of verse 8, verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. 
And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Again, this is a miraculous picture that we have here. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they, they saw the child with his, with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. So directly right after this, get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. Let's stop right there. <clears throat> so again, this morning we're going to focus on the wise men, the magi, and the story. And, and I want you to think about uh, what we do know and what we don't know just from reading this passage. And again, this is what we have about the Magi. Many times people lean a little bit too much on tradition or on secondary uh, you know, sources of some sort. But there's only a few legitimate facts we know about these guys. We don't really know how many came on their pilgrimage. Uh, we do know that they brought three gifts. okay? But we know that we don't really have a set number of these men who show up and brought gifts to Jesus. We don't really know their names. They're not described by their names. They're just described by their position of magi. That's a capital M as if it was a, a big deal uh, for these men to be in this position, which we'll talk about in just a moment. We don't really know how they got to Jerusalem. I mean, they didn't catch a plane, you know, so it was by foot. It was by hoof. It was by donkey or camel or some, some way horse. We, we don't really know. We don't really know exactly where they came from. The only clue that we're given to their nationality is they came from the east, is what it says, uh, from somewhere. Now, what we do as we think about the, the term magi, it's actually uh, from an, an ancient Persian word. Uh, and, and by the way, that is the same place, this area of the Chaldeans, is where Daniel uh, spent his time during exile. Daniel of the fame of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego of that uh, exilic period. And so we understand. That, that Daniel had had some influence here. If you remember, uh, there were men that Daniel associated with, even at that time, who were seers, who were interpreters of dreams, who looked to the stars, who had some sense of, of being a representative that the kings would look to. And centuries before Jesus, these were the priestly caste of the Chaldeans who could interpret dreams. In fact, the word magi actually is a Persian word that means experts regarding the stars. They were astronomers, but also probably astrologers in some way and so the king would look to these men for advice as they looked into the heavens the Babylonians the Persians the Medes all these the centuries before Jesus these were the wise men the learned men the academics of their day and many people believe that their interest in the Messiah and even their understanding and access to the Old Testament scriptures that they would have paired with this uh this fascination with what they saw in the heavens would have come from Daniel's influence centuries before as Daniel uh, gave them the Old Testament scriptures and that's how they would have known exactly uh, where to look and what to know as they're looking for the intersection of the skill of astronomy and this interest in theology which resulted in this grand pilgrimage. And I want you to think for just a minute as these guys, it's like they are compelled, it's like We've got to go find out what this is about. There's been a great star appearing in the sky. We read this in the scriptures as they put these two things together. They're driven. And as I, as I read that, I think about why. Why were they driven to come so far to bear these gifts to a child, to a toddler? Again, as they present these massive treasure chests of these three elements, these three gifts uh, to this child and to this family. Well, we're told in verse 2 why they came. Look at verse 2. 
We saw his star. I love how it describes his star. We saw his star when it rose. What does it say? That compelled us. What, what have we come to do? And we have come to worship him. We have come to worship him. Think about the gravity of this pilgrimage as the Magi are so moved by a sign that the Heavenly Father has placed in the sky, in the heavens, that they had to explore its origin. And again, this picture of, of the Magi having to pull it all together. I mean, again, this is, it's not something simple to travel. I mean, I've been to Florida a couple of times this month, and it's nothing for me to jump in a car and drive to Jacksonville, right, for six hours. I mean, there's nothing for me to think about travel like that. But in this day and time, I mean, these guys had to observe what was happening. And then they have to, you know, like pull all together logistics. They get their gifts together. They got to execute this travel plan. They've got to come. They're in, in search of. And so that you think about this is a, a massive undertaking for these men uh, to pursue. It was a great deal of effort, a great deal of expense. And the question I have to ponder and you have to ponder is why would you do that? Why would you go through such expense to, to go and find this out? Why are they so inquisitive? What are, the, what are the questions that are driving them to this kind of activity? And all I can come to is what they say in verse 2 is that they came to worship. And by the way, you don't worship a man. They knew something was special about this birth. They knew the Old Testament scriptures. They knew that there was one who was coming from origins of old. Maybe it was FOMO, okay? Maybe they thought, wow, this is something incredible that we can't miss out on. But more than likely, it was a time of reverence and a time of the supernatural. And they wanted to load up and they wanted to go to Israel because they wanted to worship God because something special had happened. And they sought this new divine king's emergence because they wanted to honor him. Point number one. The Magi demonstrated heartfelt worship. Again, this picture is, is beautiful as we see these men coming from a foreign land. Now, what you may not have thought about is the wise men, the Magi, are the very first Gentile worshipers. They're the very first ones interjected into the story. Up until this, this point, it's Jewish shepherds, it's Mary and Joseph, it's their families, it's all that's happening in and around Bethlehem. We've got this picture here now where these foreign dignitaries are showing up with their gifts and they're genuflecting at the feet of a toddler. It's a very odd picture when you think about it. And they're bearing these, these very expensive gifts to give to a toddler at, at Christmas time. I mean, think about what is the picture here. The picture here is that the Magi are the first Gentile seekers. By the way, they won't be the last. Amen? That's us, guys, most of us in this room. These are Gentile seekers. They're, they're, they want to, to understand about the Messiah. They've traveled from a foreign land possibly for months. They don't know everything about this child, but they know there's something special about what has happened, and they're trying to connect the dots, and they're going to do what they can to explore this because they want their questions answered. They didn't know everything, but they knew this. I need to go there, and I need to go worship. That's a beautiful picture. By the way, you might be here in this room, and you might be in much of the same spot they're in. Maybe you're a little skeptical 
Maybe you don't have all the, the dots connected. Maybe this is interesting to you. Maybe this concept of Christ is interesting to you. This concept of, of Jesus, the Son of God, as we talk about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. I'm praying for somebody in this room who's a skeptic. Maybe they're just like the wise men. They have questions. But let me say this. Are you earnestly seeking out the answers to your questions? Are you going to the Word? Are you seeking out Jesus so that he might answer your questions? These men sought out the answer. And as they sought out the answer, it brought them to the feet of a little child. Are you looking for Jesus to connect all the dots in your life? I believe that if you are just like the wise men and you seek after him and you seek to revere him and you seek to honor him, that Jesus will help you connect all the dots in your life. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe you're on the outskirts looking in. Have you ever taken that sense of awe to say, what if this is true? What if this about Jesus is true? What does he, listen, what does he deserve from me if it is true? How should I respond to this Jesus if this is all true? And what you, can, what you see here is a biblical model of response. Uh, go forward a little bit in Matthew 2. Go to verse 10 and 11. We're going to skip ahead. We'll go to the King Herod stuff in just a moment. Verse 10 and 11. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother. Mary, what, is, what do they do? They bowed down. They bowed down. They worshiped him. They opened up their treasures. They presented him with these gifts. And I just, I just see this picture. And again, we all get caught up in the gifts. Okay, back up for a minute. Before the gifts, what are they doing? <laughs> they're bowing down. They're, they're laying prostrate. They're genuflecting before this toddler. And it doesn't really make sense. Again, this is a, an odd scene. But this is a picture of true adoration. They were, they'd go through the planning. They bought the gifts. They had to get through King Herod. Just so they could get at the feet of this young Christ. And they're bowing down and they're worshiping him. And I think about them before this new king bearing these gifts, paying this homage. It's really a moment of reverential worship. And I just want you to, to make sure, listen, make sure right now as we are completing out this Christmas season, after all the craziness, after all you've gone through over the past couple of weeks, all the family visits, all the songs, all the cartoons, all the movies, all the food. Have you stood in awe at Jesus' feet? Have you revered him for who he is? Can you celebrate? And it's not too late, by the way. The Christmas decorations are still up. It's still 2023. Tomorrow it starts a new year. It's not too late in this Christmas season to revere Jesus for who he is. To bow down, to fall prostrate at his feet. And to pay homage to him as these three kings, or as these kings showed us, as these wise men show us. Let's make sure that we take the example here of the Magi as they are presenting their gifts. That they're coming before who they believe to be a king. They didn't have all the answers. But let me just say this. You and I know a whole lot more about Jesus than the wise men did. You and I know how the story ends. We know what Jesus came to do. We know, that, and there's meaning, deep meaning to the gifts that the wise men bring. But you and I know much more than the wise men. Why should we not respond any less than to build our faces before King Jesus, worshiping him and revering him and honoring him as the King of kings and Lord of lords? Why? Because that is what he deserves. I pray that as your heartbeat toward him. I pray that you come to him because you know him you know him as the king. You're not just having some thoughts of who he might be, but you know who he is. And you bow down, you bend the knee, you genuflect, you declare that he is worthy. And by the way, 
the expense that they show in their worship is such a sacrificial picture here that they bring to Jesus. Go back to verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and they worshipped him. And then it says, they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This is point number two. The Magi knew that Jesus deserved their best. It was customary in the Near East that when you came to somebody who was superior to you, when you came to someone who had a higher position than you, that you offer up a gift. It was a way of acknowledging their position above and superior to you. So again, here's this picture of these. they got to be like older guys. I mean, they can't be my age and older, maybe. They're wise men. Here they are bringing gifts to like a two-year-old. Right? They're presenting these gifts, and they're worshiping. They're bowing down. They're on their face. They're worshiping him. Why? Because they considered this one uh, to be of a, a different heritage, a different lineage. And this was a king. This was an act of worship. And this king deserved tribute. And the three gifts of tribute is a foreshadowing of why Jesus came to the earth. They didn't even know it when they brought the three gifts. But these three gifts point to us of who Jesus is and why Jesus came. Number one. Most of us understand this one, gold. I think most of us would receive a gift of gold, wouldn't you? I mean, somebody comes to you with a, a treasure chest full of gold. You probably would not turn that down. You'd probably add that to your collection. You probably could put it in the safe somewhere, probably. This is a very valuable, uh, very precious metal. Uh, this is no different at this time. Gold is actually a symbol of divinity. It was used in the Old Testament as they... Uh, made fashioned pagan idols. They made them out of gold. The Ark of the Covenant was overlaid with gold. We have this picture here of, of divinity. And what they're saying as they present this gold is that Jesus is divine. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's 100% human, but also 100% divine. He is the God-man, and Jesus acts as the intermediary between us and Father God. It's a beautiful picture, a declaration as they present this gold to this toddler that this baby is divine. He comes from different origins. The second gift is frankincense. A frankincense is a, a white resin or a gum, and you get it from gashing uh, the, the tree of a, a bark of a certain tree, and it's a very distinct sap that runs. They, they collect it. It hardens, and it has a very distinct, pungent fragrance. Has anybody ever smelled frankincense before? I've had the chance to smell frankincense. It's very strong, and especially when you burn it. And frankincense uh, was used in worship. It was used in the tabernacle in worship. It was frequently used in Middle Eastern worship. In fact, listen to this from Exodus chapter 30. As God is preparing his people for worship in the tabernacle, as they're wandering in the wilderness, this is what God said about frankincense and how it was to be used. Verse 34. Then the Lord said to Moses, take fragrant spices, gum resin, anica, and galvanum, and pure frankincense, all in equal amounts, and make a fragrant blend of incense, the work of a perfumer. It is to be salted and pure and sacred. Grind some of it to powder, to a powder and place it in front of the Ark of the Covenant, uh, Ark of the Covenant Law in the Tent of the Meeting, where I will meet with you. It will be most holy to you. Do not make any incense with this formula for yourselves. Consider it holy to the Lord. And so as they're bringing this frankincense, it is a, a picture, a symbolic 
gesture here of an offering, a fragrant offering that's being offered up to God. And so frankincense is a symbol of holiness. It's a sense of righteousness. You would offer up this frankincense in the worship of God. And so it's symbolic of Jesus coming to be a sacrifice for us, that his, the offering of his life uh, as a holy and righteous sacrifice uh, was analogous to a burnt offering given up to God that was pleasing to him. The last image, the last picture we have here, the last gift is of myrrh. Myrrh is obtained in the same way that you would get frankincense. You gash a, a, a bark of a certain tree, you let it run. It was a very strong spice, but it wasn't used in, in fragrances. It wasn't used in, in that kind of offering. It was actually an aesthetic drink. And so you would take that, you would mix it with wine, and you would use it to deaden the senses. In fact, we have, uh, it's called in the New Testament, gall. In Matthew chapter 27, verses 32 through 34, Jesus was offered gall on his way to the cross. It says in Matthew 27, starting in verse 32, As they were going out, they met a man from Serene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And there they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. This is myrrh. This is, this is what they would have mixed with uh, the, the wine for Jesus to deaden his senses. But after tasting it, we're told, Jesus refused to drink it because he wanted to have a sensation of, of, of what he was experiencing to the full. Myrrh was also used as an embalming fluid to prepare a body for bur burial. And so as you think about what is symbol symbolized by the myrrh that is being offered, I mean, it's kind of, again, it's interesting, a little two-year-old. All right, here's some embalming, here's, here's some embalming spices, Jesus. I and mean, this is odd, right? But what's the foretelling? What's, what's the message uh, that, that is, is conveyed here? We're told that, that, listen, Jesus came to die. It serves as a, the, a reminder of the imminent death of Jesus, that even in his early years, it was a reminder that Jesus would have to suffer and that Jesus would have to give up his life for us. Gold, frankincense. And myrrh, gold, Jesus is divine. Jesus is God. Frankincense, Jesus is holy. Jesus is righteous. He's a fragrant offering offered up for us. And then myrrh, Jesus came to suffer and to die for us. Picture of Jesus' purpose. Number three, the magi revealed the enemies of Jesus. The main enemy that we see here is King Herod. Now Bethlehem where Jesus was born. It's about six miles outside of Jerusalem. It's a very small town in that day. But they didn't go to Bethlehem first. Where did they go? I mean, they know a king has been born. So where do you go to find kings? You go to the capital city. You go to the palace, because that's the seat of power. You go to the palace, and maybe the king's had a baby. We don't know. We show up. We talk to the king. We say, hey, we saw this star. It reminded us uh, that we are something special has happened. And so we have come to the place of authority. We've come to the palace because we have come to find our king. And by the way, these guys are wise, but bad move, wise guys. You know, like don't show up at King Herod's house. They didn't know that was a bonehead move, but it was. And when they go to King Herod, go, go to verse 3 of Matthew 2, where King Herod heard that he heard this, this idea of them coming to find the king of the Jews. He was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, 
go and search carefully for this child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. What a liar. <laughs> Conniver. I mean, think about the pretenses that he's giving here to these wise men. He goes, oh, the king, you need to tell me so that I can co- go and join with you. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. As much as we see the wise men typify what beautiful worship looks like, here we have a picture of false worship. And we have a picture here of King Herod who's seeking out Jesus for the wrong things. It's from a selfish perspective. He sees Jesus as a threat. So he devises a plan to eradicate this possible new Messiah and to deal with him personally. And so he lies to the Magi. He doesn't want to worship Jesus. He's a jealous man. In fact, what we're told later um, is that, that because of this birth, Ma- uh, King Herod turns and demands that all the children that were two years and under that were males, that were born during this time that Jesus was born, that's why we think it might have been two years after Christmas, is that two, all the children, all the males born two years after this time were to be, were to be slaughtered. It was infanticide. This guy, Herod, was not a, a nice man. He was incredibly jealous. He was incredibly suspicious, which made him a cruel, merciless person. Listen to this. This is some of Herod's uh, biography. He once had the high priest of Israel, which was his wife's brother, by the way. Uh, He had him killed by drowning. And then he went to the funeral. He provided the funeral. And he pretended to weep over the priest that he himself had drowned with his own hands. He had his wife killed. He then had her mother killed. And then three of his own sons, afraid that they would rise up against him and take over his throne. A short time before his death, Herod uh, realized that everybody hated him. And so uh, he was afraid that nobody would mourn at his death. And so he took all of the most distinguished citizens of Jerusalem. He had them arrested and he had them imprisoned. And then he gave the directive that when I die, I want you to slaughter all of these people that are in prison. Because at least somebody will be crying in Jerusalem when I die. Yeah, great guy. Citizen of the month kind of guy. He's nervous. He saw Jesus as a threat. He didn't want to give up control to anyone. And when the Magi show up, it drew his attention. And by the way, uh, Herod knew that the Magi were powerful people. In their culture, uh, Magi were the, the kingmakers. They were part of the, 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 the ritual of crowning a king. And so they were, they were revered as such. And so up in Persia, before anybody ever became king, they had to prove two things. That they had mastered the scientific and religious uh, uh, discipline of the Magi. And they had to be approved of and crowned by the Magi. And so Herod knew this. When they're looking for a new king, Herod didn't want them acknowledging any other authority. And so when they came to Jerusalem looking for their new king, no wonder Herod steps in. And by the way... Herod uh, represents the satanic attack to try to thwart the redemptive plan of God. By the way, it didn't work. Take note. Satan's at work, but he's got no strength. He works through feeble, weak King Herod to try to eradicate the Messiah as a young baby. And God would have nothing to do with it. God provides in a miraculous way. And by the way, this is the last point. The Magi demonstrate the providence of God. I love this term, providence. And God's in control. Listen to the latter part of the story again. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. 
They bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Stop. How did they know to avoid King Herod? God intervened to, listen, to pagan priests that they had a dream to not listen to King Herod, but to go back in a different route. God had intervened in the providence of God. God intervened. God spoke to these men through dreams, telling them not to trust King Herod and to go a different way. Look at verse 13. When they had gone, immediately, listen to this, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. Stop right there for just a moment. Now, again, I told you that travel is hard. I mean, Mary and Joseph were poor people. He's just a regular blue-collar guy. We're told even when Jesus was born, it was in humble circumstances because there was no room for them in the end. By the way, if you had money, there was probably room for you in the end. Mary and Joseph had nothing. And if they had gotten the news before the wise men showed up that Herod was killing all the babies, how would they have gone to Egypt? But in the providence of God, listen, in the providence of God, right before the angel tells Joseph to leave, guess what happens? Three strangers show up at your house. Three Gentile pagan priests show up at your house presenting you with gold and frankincense and myrrh. If Joseph had not had that sitting in the safe, what would he have done when the angel said, go to Egypt? He would have said, how in the world am I supposed to get to Egypt? Instead, he goes, Mary, get up, go to the safe, get the gold. <laughs> God's in control. God's orchestrating the whole thing. God is providing for Mary and Joseph and Jesus when they don't even know it. When the wise guys show up at their door bearing gifts, it was part of God's provision so that Mary and Joseph and Jesus could escape in the middle of the night and, and be on their own for a couple of years in Egypt without having to worry about resources. Why? Because God showed up and showed out. My dad had a little saying. He said, my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and sometimes he has a cattle sell just for me. I can't help but see God's hand of providence through this whole thing. It just makes sense. How else, how else is this family going to go to Egypt unless God provides a miracle? Strange men show up at your door and hand you Bags of gold? <laughs> How incredible is that? Don't get over that, Christian. Don't get over that. God is like, I mean, if some of you are walking into this coming year and you have got so many questions, and so many doubts, and so many fears, and you're wondering if God's going to show up. you got all these question marks in your life. And I'm just going to tell you, trust God because God works it out. If you trust him and you follow him and are obedient to him, strange things may happen. Three guys might show up at your door and hand you a bag of gold right before you're told to leave the country. <laughs> oh, that's chance. It's all chance. It's all chance. Anybody else glad God's in control? Some of y'all need to quit watching the news. 
so much. Some of y'all need to quit fretting over the future. You know why? Because God's got it in his hands. He's got you in his hands. And God's going to take care and make sure that his redemptive plan is followed through. If God can, God can work this out in the small details of this story, then surely God's working out the details of your life. Have you ever thought about that? One of my favorite verses is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. He'll tell you where to go next. And all I can see here over and over again, as these wise men have deposited all this gold and frankincense and myrrh in Mary and Joseph's hands, that God's just giving them what they need when they need it at the right time for his purpose to be sought out and and lived out in their life. And I want you to live like that too. I want you to trust God enough to know he's in charge. The providence of God is an amazing thing. You know what's crazy? Sometimes you don't see it till after the fact. You look back and go, ah, oh, that's what God was doing. Ah, oh, that's why God brought that into my life. God, that's why God did this. And because God's putting it all together. And he's creating this amazing story. And he's in charge. And somebody needs to hear that today as you walk into this new year. Trust in the providence of God. He's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of us. As a pastor, when God tells me what to do and tries to you know, give us direction of where to head, I got a thousand questions. How is this going to work out? How are we going to plant another church? How are we going to help churches? Churches aren't asking for it yet. They're not knocking on our door asking us to show up and help them. I just feel very compelled to get ready and all I know is I'm trying to trust God. I'm trying to be obedient. Why? Because I've seen how he works. Here's the thing. If you see how God has worked in the past, if you know God's track record, it gives you confidence to move forward in the future. Why? Because you know God has been at work. Of course Joseph's going to go to Egypt. Why would Joseph not go to Egypt? Think about what God's already told him to do and think about what God's already put in Joseph's hands. Why would you not go to Egypt? In the same way, Christian, when God tells you to do something, be obedient in it, follow through with it, God's going to take care of you. Why? Because all things work together for the good of them who love him, who've been called according to his purpose, and God's still working it out. That's all I can tell you. Trust him. Isn't that incredible at the end of the story? Can we thank him for his providence? Can we thank God that he's in charge and he's going to resource his plan. He's going to take care of his people. He's going to protect them. He's going to orchestrate things around them that they have no idea that's even happening so that his purpose and his plan would be fulfilled. What an amazing God we serve.